The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with April J. Ford. April has faced adversity in her life, such as childhood sexual abuse and becoming a widow and a single parent at 32. Through all of her challenges, she has managed to rise above them and conquer her life. She'll help you to do the same. Now, here is your host, April Ford. Welcome. I'm honored to be the voice of You're Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. I'm April J. Ford. Before I bring on my returning guests with me today, Beth Rosen, we'd both like to say hello to all of our listeners out there who are listening in each and every week to our live segments as well as replays. I believe we've got about 50 plus countries out there globally as we continue to grow. So I offer this show as an example for people who feel alone during adversity, that they are not alone, and that there is hope. Your journey called life is filled with happiness, success, fulfillment, and even disappointments and adversities. I'm here to say that there's golden blessings to be discovered even when life throws you a curveball and you can still experience joy. I believe on taking a holistic approach to empowerment, so this show will bring on expert guests to help you with tools and tips to create a roadmap and blueprint that guides you on finding who you are and how to handle challenges. This is how you will transition and transform into who you're truly meant to be. And to find out more, go to the website feeljoyagain.com. So on with today's episode, choose wholeness for your health. Part of taking a holistic approach to impairment and wellness is caring for our physical bodies and our mental and emotional well-being as well. So it's not uncommon for us to write down resolution goals of our physical health, such as losing weight, starting a diet, having more energy, having radiant and youthful skin, and so on. But what if we had all the best plans but neglected the other strategic parts that affect our ability to gain the results we desire? So our returning guest, Beth Rosen, is a registered dietitian and will speak on why it's important to integrate wholeness. Beth is an activist in her community, working to reform the local school lunch program and creating a cultural diversity council. She's also a chairperson of the PTO Advisory Council, a collaborative committee within the regional school district that links local PTO presidents with the district administrators. She writes articles and develops teaching materials for a website aimed at nutrition and health educators, as well as articles for the Huffington Post parents and main maintains a blog at goodnessgraciousliving.com. Welcome back to the show with us, Beth. How are you? I'm great, April. Thanks for having me back. 
Well, in this segment, I really want to get more, you know, in depth about your personal story and struggles on how you got started as a dietitian, since that's your main passion. Can you share a little bit about your background on that? Sure. Uh, so, I became a registered dietitian. Um, after my graduate program, but I was very interested in nutrition, maybe um, sort of put on me uh, at a young age. So I come from a family of what I like to call disordered eaters, not necessarily people with eating disorders, but definitely um, body dysmorphia where they believe that they look bigger than they are or chronic dieters, um, chronic exercisers, people like that. My the women in my family were like that. So at a young age, I became very aware of my body, whether or not it was up to the standard of either my family members or the, or society or the magazines, um, mm-hmm. as kids experience now, because they're even more involved in media. But I was aware of it at the age of nine, or probably younger than that, but my first diet was at nine. Um, wow. Yeah. And... Uh, from there, uh, I really learned to uh, stop listening to my own body clock and listen to external cues of the diet industry. I tried many a diet uh, from nine all the way up until uh, my 40s. And um, as most people probably have done if they're uh, chronic dieters, there's you know a plan for everyone and uh, you can try them all. And I basically did. So when I went to college, I actually went as uh, a studio, uh, an advertising design major, and I wanted to go into art, but that was the closest I could get where there was a job related to it. So I started in there, and I really wasn't finding my passion there. And I remember walking on campus one day and calling my mother and saying, I'm just not happy in this major. And she said, well, why don't you see if they have anything about nutrition? You know so much about it already. Maybe you can do something with it. And lo and behold, the school I was at, I went to University of Maryland in College Park undergrad, had a wonderful uh, dietetics program, also had sciences, uh, all wrapped up in there. So I switched my major, and I was admitted to that part of the college, and I continued my education there. And then I went on to Columbia University and did a graduate program there. And after that, I did an internship. Um, most of it was done in what was at the time called Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in Manhattan. And I also did some other work during that year. And then I sat for a national exam, and that's how I became a registered dietitian. Wow, long way starting at the yeah. age of nine. Well, let's let's start back at the age of nine. I mean, how did you feel, or do you even remember... Um, with all the uh, programming that you received from your family, you know, how did that affect your personal self-image or you emotionally to be so conscious of your 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 body weight or your image at at a young age? Do you remember? I do. I think I think at a very young age, because I can't really remember a time before it. Um, I was conscious of my body, of what I look like, what I looked like in clothes, what other people thought of my body, uh, and I never really remember being um, satisfied with it or thinking good things about it, um, and that started me on a path of, I'll say, self-dislike, self-hate. Uh, I had a lot of internal negative voices telling me I wasn't good enough, I wasn't thin enough, I didn't look right, 
I didn't fit the mold. I didn't look mm-hmm. like my family. That kind of thing. Um, did it so affect there, your your eating? I mean, with, with oh, some sure. girls that you could develop, you know, anorexia or whatever in something else. I mean, did it snowball to something else? Uh, well, you know, part of me felt that I. I had a good head on my shoulders, so as much as I wanted to be the skinny girl, I wasn't about to become her by quote-unquote cheating. I'm a habitual rule follower, so for me, I thought that um, eating disorders were cheating, and that's, as a child, what I thought, I, you know, they, they're, they're a, a valid disorder, and I just didn't know that at the time, but I wasn't going to try that out. Um, so I stuck with going with whatever the next plan was that was considered the next best thing or the healthy food or whatever it was. And I went and tried them all. So there was the hot dog and beets in a can diet for three days. There was the seven-day diet, which one day was tomatoes, one day was bananas, one day was meat. There was the cabbage soup diet. There Mm -hmm. was... Um, a bunch, I don't want to mention the names of the plans, but the national diet plans, there were books, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. And I started them very young, and I really learned how not to listen to my own body. I learned to value what other people thought of me more than what I thought of myself physically, and that affected me emotionally for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, through... Through growing up with that, I have a lot of empathy for others. I have empathy for my clients uh, who have that negative voice that still speaks to them in their head. It, you know, in over time, I've learned to turn off that voice and find a different voice, a kinder voice. To I'm I I practice self love. I try to say nice things to myself. If I catch myself hearing that negative voice, I try to turn it around. So that you know, that's a practice that I've learned as an adult. But as a child, I didn't have that that right. um, strategy. Right. And did later on, when you know you maybe became more educated in a healthier path to your emotional well-being as well as your physical well-being, did you were you able to educate and empower your family members as well later on? Mm. Not really. <laughs> uh, I think the last people who will listen to me as a professional are the people closest to me who still right. see me as a little girl with pigtails. But, yeah, that's not uncommon uh, for any, have, any of us. Right, but I have plenty of friends and clients who look to me for guidance and find success. Um, but I don't know that I could change the mind of my family members, but I'm not trying to change their minds. i take the focus on me and since then they've taken the focus off of me if that makes sense yeah yeah so if I no longer value what other people think of me then it really doesn't matter what they think of me and most likely they don't really think anything of me other than they love me and they think I'm a wonderful person has nothing to do with how much I weigh but that was my perception Mm mm-hmm Right on. Okay. So let's go ahead and take our break. And when we come back, let's get into, you know, if somebody out there is listening who's going through a challenge or a tragic event, you know, it could really affect their well-being, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And a lot of us get caught up in what I've heard you call is stress eating. So we'll talk about more about that on how it can affect us when we're going through a setback. Sounds good. Thank you. 
Elevate your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Has life ever thrown you a curveball called challenges? Or maybe even a boulder called adversity? You are not alone. How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with Grace, Gratitude, Love, and Joy is about finding the gold in life's challenges. April J. Ford shares how tragedies from her past taught her the alchemy of adversity. Who we are inside and the way we handle the challenges we face is how we transition and transform into who we are truly meant to be. Pick up your copy today at www.feeljoyagain.com or by clicking on the link on the You Are Not Alone show page. Is the last time you saw sparkles of life in your day. Each day holds a treasure, the extra in the ordinary. It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted. If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own Mighty Gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to You Are Not Alone. To reach April J. Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. We are back. Our episode today is Choose Wholeness for Your Health. I have a returning guest, Beth Rosen. Make sure you guys go ahead and check out her articles on Huffington Post as well as goodnessgraciousliving.com. And just before the break, she was sharing her personal story and struggles starting at the very age of nine years old where she basically grew up. What did you describe it, Beth, as disordered eaters? Would you? Is, yeah. Was that the right term? Okay, disordered eaters. Basically, I would say it's more like addicting or chronic exercisers or diets. Chronic dieters, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Chronic dieters, people who use exercise as reward or punishment. Uh, You know, it's almost a form of um, dieting itself when you exercise so much that you think you're burning more calories than you're eating in a day by exercising so much during one day. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about when somebody is going through a tragic event in their life or just a setback or a challenge. It could be relationships. It could be health or financial, um, you know, stance. And it causes stress and it impacts our whole being, our health physically, as well as our eating habits. Can you talk about stress eating? Sure. So stress eating is more than just taking a comfort food and eating it and filling up a hole in what we, a hole in ourselves or what we think we're helping by um, using food as a coping skill. Stress eating actually uh, does not work so well with our bodies because when we are stressed, when our, when our body is stressed, our brain is stressed, uh, our body releases a hormone called cortisol. And actually what cortisol does is it tells our body that what we're putting in it next 
might be poison. So to slow down digestion, don't use this food as fuel, um, and, and avoid this food. So if we eat when we're stressed, most likely we're going to get a stomach ache or we're not going to have um, good digestion at that point. Whether or not it's a quote-unquote healthy food or a quote-unquote junk food, the same mm-hmm. thing will happen. So if we're eating while we're stressed, our body's not going to use that food. On the other side of that, if we're stress eating, so if we're using food as a coping skill, we are eating when we're not hungry. So anything we put into our bodies when we're not hungry gets stored as extra fuel for later, and the other term for that is fat. So Mm -hmm. if we're stress eating and we're not hungry, anything, whether it's carrots or it's, you know, quinoa, it, it will be used. To, it will be stored away. Um, and what tends to happen with people who are going through traumas or tough times, they're not really paying attention to their body cues. They are looking for a way to comfort themselves, and food is the easiest way for some people. Uh, and really, maybe what they should be doing at that point uh, is addressing those needs. So, looking at what is making me stressed, and either trying to work toward the goal of fixing that stress and removing it from the life or uh, redirecting attention away from food since that causes more damage. If you Mm -hmm. think of it as a cycle, so if we overeat as a cycle, if we start by overeating and then we feel awful because we overate, we tend to comfort ourselves with food and there's the cycle and it just goes round and round. Yeah. Yeah. Self-defeating cycle. But what, what body cues can people pay attention to? So I like to teach my clients uh, mindful eating techniques. And with mindful eating, you have three main components. One is paying attention to your body. Two is eating with awareness, so paying attention to when you're hungry and when you're getting full. And the third thing is doing so as a curious observer, so no longer having that judgmental mind, that judgmental voice saying, you shouldn't eat that or that's Mm -hmm. going to make you fat or whatever your voice tells you. So when you start to listen to your internal cues, you can determine whether or not you're hungry. And if you're not hungry, then food is not what you're looking for. So if you're sad, if you're bored, if you're happy, if you're stressed, those are other emotions. Those are other things. Hungry isn't an emotion. It's a physical need, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we didn't feed ourselves, we would die. So it's a need, right. right? So if we eat when we are, again, sad, happy, stressed, we're trying to fill another need, which is our our spiritual health or emotional health or even physical health. Maybe we need to get out and exercise to relieve some of that stress. Um, but so it's it's not related to hunger, then it shouldn't, food isn't the answer. Right. So when you said mindful eating, first pay attention and just be aware of when you are hungry versus you're full. And then the second one you said, um, just being conscious of what you eat. Yeah, well, to be aware. So, so if the first one is, um, you know, you're paying attention. So you're paying attention to when are you hungry? Why, are, why do you think you're hungry? Are you actually hungry? That's sort of paying attention to your body cues rather than listening to an external cue like a diet that says eat every three hours or eat mm-hmm. this, not that, or, um, you know, 
have only this many calories, and should you be hungry after that, then don't listen to that hunger, that kind of thing. Or some a diet that makes you feel entitled to finish all of those uh, exchanges or points or whatever you're allowed to have, even if you're not hungry, because the diet says you can have it. So those are external cues. When you're paying attention, you're listening to your internal cues. What is your body telling you? Is it telling you it's tired? Do you need to sleep or do you need to refuel? Is it telling you you're hungry? Do you need to eat? How much do you need to eat? How soon do you need to eat? Those kinds of things are the attention piece. The awareness piece is really while you're eating, paying attention to the taste, the smell, the sound of the crunch, the texture, the flavor. Do I like this food? Is this food energizing to me? Am I enjoying this food? Who am I enjoying it with? And, do, and doing that sort of practice over and over again rather than eating under distraction like in oh, front yeah, of the TV. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. or in a moving car or while on the phone. Those kinds of things take away from our ability to listen to our internal cue of satiety. So what happens if I'm talking on the phone and watching TV and eating? I can't also be paying attention to my body when my stomach is full and mm-hmm. I might get past the point of satisfied and go into the full or very full or uncomfortable range. And that's right. when, when you get to those points... Those calories are also stored away for later because your body didn't need that. And also you'll feel uncomfortable and you may feel tired after eating because you have too much in your system and your body is using energy to digest rather than to fuel you. Right. Okay. So if we were to implement the four-step process, the first step is to recognize. So Beth is recommending that we recognize and pay attention to our body cues. And if you guys are taking notes, hopefully you guys got that. And also while you're eating, not only paying paying attention to what you eat, but paying attention to you know, being in that moment of while you're eating. I've, I've seen people and watched them while they eat. It's almost like they put the whole steak in their mouth and take two two bites and they're all done. It's like, right. can you at least chew your food? I mean, that's how your body digests it is we actually chew the food first. Right, and that's part of being aware. Put the fork down between bites. Enjoy what's in your mouth because if you're constantly refilling your fork, when you get to that last bite, you miss the whole meal. And mm-hmm. your brain does connect to that. So if you're not paying attention while you're eating, chances are when you're done eating, you're still going to think you're hungry because you missed it. But if you're paying attention to every bite that goes into your mouth and you're enjoying it and you're savoring it and you're offering yourself love by feeding your body because that's a basic need we we need to survive, then you're going to feel the point where, okay, hunger has subsided. Now where am I? Am I comfortable? Am I full? How many more bites do I need to get to the point of comfortable? And you can have this internal conversation with yourself. Mm-hmm. And, get and to I like how you where, said, you know, it, it's... Eating is really not an emotion. It's it's a physical need that we, you know, need to survive. But I think oftentimes, going back to the topic of a tragic event or a setback, we have those emotions and stress. Um, I'll share, share a quick story that I encountered. This was before and during when I lost my husband and I was going through my grieving process. I was actually training for a Miss Fitness competition, and I was on a very regressive workout schedule, like working out at the gym six times a week, and out of those six days, I would do multiple workouts per day, like three or four days 
out of those six days, I'd be in the gym like three or four times per day. It was ridiculous, like four hours per day of working out. And my nutrition was was very restricted. The diet was super restricted. And you could tell by how my body and my mind was so out of whack and out of alignment shortly after the show because of my eating patterns. You know, it showed how much deprivation I was in and how much stress and restriction I was in. I immediately gained 25 to 30 pounds within like the first, uh, like less than 30 days after my, my competition that I won. You know, that's, I want to speak to that for a second because we have this, unfortunately, we have this society where the perfect, and I put that word in quotes, body is not attainable by everyone. The people who have that perfect body or whomever decided that was the perfect body, that's great for them. But for the rest of us, we need to be comfortable in our natural weight. And when you were doing this program in order to reach a goal, you weren't at your natural weight. You had to deprive yourself. You had to exercise constantly to get to this place where you conditioned your body to be what you thought you wanted it to be at the time. But what happens with our bodies, if we eat mindfully and, and practice that technique, then over time, our body comes to its natural weight. I always like to tell my clients, weight loss isn't the purpose of mindful eating, but it's a nice side effect should you need to lose weight. Because when mm-hmm. you're only eating to the point of satisfaction, you're not storing away extra calories all the time. So you will get back to where your body wants to be. Now, that might not be a size 2. But that's where your body wants to be. You can diet and restrict yourself down to a weight, or you can mindlessly overeat to a weight. But there's a place in the middle where our bodies are comfortable, and if we allow them to be there, then that that will be the easiest weight to maintain. Yeah, and that's that's super challenging, especially for us women. I mean, we're you know we see in movies and in music and entertainment of what like you said, quote unquote, what the perfect body should look like. You know, we're just inundated with media and programming all around us on how we should, um, you know, present ourselves physically. Right. And so one of the strategies I teach my clients is to shut it off. And by that, I mean, unfollow, unfriend, uh, you know, cancel subscriptions, anything that you look at that makes you feel ashamed of who you are, you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be looking at. Because that doesn't fuel your self-love. That only negates what you're trying to accomplish. So fill up your news feed on Facebook with pages that post inspirational memes about loving yourself, not necessarily about your thigh gap or your small waist. You know what I mean? So that you're, you're cultivating your own media. What you see is what you want to see rather mm-hmm. than what the media wants you to see. Right, totally agree. Yeah. You, you've got to filter what you bring into your mind because those are the thoughts that you're going to be focusing on. Right, and that's also a step of recognizing. You need to recognize what, brings you, what makes you feel ashamed or what brings you sadness or what brings you happiness. And if it's something you're seeing on a daily basis, whether it's something in your email or it's something on television, you have the power to turn it off. No right. one says you have to watch choice. that show or you have to follow that person on Twitter. You can shut it off and don't do that and, and create, create your, own, um, your own inspiration. Keep a gratitude journal. Uh, write letters to yourself. Do whatever you can to change those voices in your head or those rules in your head 
to positive ones and ones that you can attain. And it doesn't have to be necessarily about your weight. Say you're overweight. Yes, you may need to lose weight for health reasons. But how about you, you become your natural weight, and that might be, you know, a size 10. It might be your size touch. That might mm-hmm. be okay. And, but right. then you have to be happy at that place. You have to learn how to be happy at that place. And so I like to call that challenge to challenge people to be perfectly imperfect and right. accept who totally they agree. are. Absolutely. Yeah, it's important to accept who you are. And it takes practice, especially if you've been telling yourself your whole life that you aren't perfect. You are, you are not able to be perfect, and that's where you need to be. And so your whole life you're waiting. Oh, well, when I'm that thin, I'll put on the bathing suit. Or when I look like that, I'll allow myself to be in a photo with my children. Those kinds of things are what hold us back from our lives. Right. And you and people out there listening know that, you know, you don't have to do this alone and you're not alone. So let's go ahead and go for a break. And when we come back, let's talk about more of these diets since we're starting off the year with, you know, all these diets. Um, and I know with Beth's story, she tried basically almost all of them since she started at the age of nine. When we come back, let's talk about these diets. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Joy's Gift is a 501c3 nonprofit that empowers women and youth to transition from tragedy to triumph, from loss or sexual abuse. Our program emphasizes a foundation of developing true self-mastery of independence, Our services provide a support system and infrastructure of wraparound resources for services focused on mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. Restore someone's hope, love, peace, and help them develop self-mastery of independence by sharing your gifts with Joy's Gift at www.joysgift.org. That's joysgift.org. Our world is shrinking. We get information across the planet as fast and as easily as across the street. Lately, it seems as if none of it is good. The world has become so addicted to negativity, fear, drama, and our kids are learning fast. Are you worried about your teen? Do you know where they are, who they're with, and what they're really up to? Power of Peace Radio tackles real issues that are changing the minds of the next generation. Get involved in the conversation on Monday evenings with Kit Cummings. Pop Radio is about interrupting and redirecting those who are on a dangerous course and bringing light into dark places with powerful topics and real stories. We bring hope to those who need it most because hope is the new dope. Power of Peace Radio, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April J. Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. 
Welcome back. And if you're just tuning in, we have Beth on the line with us. And our topic today is choose wholeness for your health. You know, part of taking a holistic approach to empowerment and wellness is caring for our physical bodies as well as our mental and emotional well-being. So, Beth, let's get into more about the physical aspect. What's your opinion on all these diets like the ketones diet or juicing or blood type diets? I mean, the list goes on and on. What do you think about these diets? So I'm going to give you a blanket statement, and that is diets don't work. Because if they did work, there wouldn't be so many out there. And they wouldn't keep coming up with the next best thing. And everybody would be thin. So (laughs) if they worked, then I could see having one or two on the market. But it's a $6 billion industry, I think, the last time I checked. It might even be higher than that. So I think what people need to realize with some of these diets or most of these diets is that they set you up for failure. They put you in a place where you get on track and you do what they tell you to do and it's very restrictive. And what happens with restrictive diets is that we start, uh, if, you, if you're not already on it, we start what's called pendulum dieting. At least I did it at a young age and I'm sure many others do. And what I mean by that is if you consider two points on an arc, the first side being restrictive eating, which is dieting, and you put yourself on a very restrictive diet and you start out and you're doing great and you're following the plan and maybe you're seeing some results. After a little bit of time, that restriction doesn't fit into your life. So maybe you're going out to dinner or you're going someplace where they only have carbohydrates, gasp. You know? So um, you need to, quote, unquote, break your diet or fall off the wagon a little bit in order to feed yourself when you're not around the foods or the juices uh, that are on your plan, and what tends to happen with that is once you slip a little bit, you tend to slip a little bit more and a little bit more until you're no longer restricting or the restriction becomes overwhelming and you come right off of it. So you swing down that pendulum into that arc and swing back the other way, which is freedom or mindless eating where you overeat, you don't really pay attention to any guideline, you're not really concerned with your health at the time until you get to a point where either you're exhausted, your skin is bad, you're very overweight, and you're uncomfortable in your clothes, and then you try to swing back the other way. Yeah. Well, I think this what happened to me plan. with my competition because I went from like being, you know, quote unquote, being on a on a clean diet and being restrictive and really being mindful of every single calorie. I would, I would know like a quarter cup of sunflower seed, like how much calories I would have. That's how bad it was. But then as soon as the competition ended, it was like mindless eating. My sister can be my witness to this. Um, When we were on a cruise, you know, it didn't help either with the cruise having such delicious, wonderful food (laughs) at 24 hours a day. But I would just, start with dessert like all day every day just eat dessert and she just watched me she's like uh okay are you okay because that's all I would crave because I restricted my body so much of um having the sweets that I wanted during my training and that's all I ate and that's you know how I ended up with all the pounds 25 30 pounds later in a matter of like three four weeks yeah that that's what happens and it's if you find that is say you were you wanted to get back to the weight you were during your competition, to swing back to that restrictive diet, your brain is just so tired from having to focus on counting and checking labels and not necessarily mm-hmm. checking labels, but, you know, making sure that you fall within that plan at all times that 
it's almost too hard to get back to all of it. And the more you swing back and forth, the harder it is to get more restrictive again, to get further back onto that restriction. And that's where we start to feel failure and self-loathing. And that's where you see people have the last supper syndrome. So the last supper syndrome is, oh, I'm going to start my diet on Monday. So on (laughs) Sunday night, I'm going to eat everything in sight because Monday I can't have any of it, right? So if you start a diet every Monday, then every (laughs) Sunday you're overeating and you're, you're going to be on this constant cycle of this last supper syndrome, Right. Okay. I never heard that. Don't work. It's pretty funny (laughs) when you try to picture it in your mind. Last supper syndrome. (laughs) But but that's what it's like. You know, it's it's oh, I'll never have this again until Mm -hmm. I fall off the wagon. But this time, I'm not going to fall off the wagon. And when you do, you feel like a failure and you self-loathe. And it's not your fault. You're set up to fail. These diets are not meant for you to be on for a long period of time because if they were that they wouldn't make any money off of you. If you were actually so able do you, to do it, yeah, so how do you pick, you how do you pick buy a, product. a plan, not necessarily a diet, but how do you pick a healthy nutritional plan that best suits your needs and your health concerns and your goals? That's a good question, and it depends on who you are. So there's no boilerplate plan for everybody. It really depends on what are your health risks, what are your health goals, and from there you choose the foods that energize you or deplete you. And the basic diet that works for everybody that's proven by science is a mostly plant-based diet with some meat and some dairy put in there, uh, some healthy fats, just a little bit every day, and limiting fats and you know, added fats and, and, and added sugar, you know, your sweets, um, to, to sometimes foods, not all the time foods. And should you have other issues, say you're diabetic, then your goal would be to manage your blood sugar. So when you're choosing a food, say you have the option of having salad with chicken or you have the option of having pastries. Well, if you say to yourself, because you're aware of what your body needs, so this is eating mindfully, say to yourself, what do I need at this moment? What will get me to my goal of maintaining my blood sugar? Will a chicken salad do that or will the pastry do it? Well, the chicken salad will do it. So if we're listening to our body, that's what we have. If we at that time are saying, but I need it, but I want it, but that'll make me feel good or that'll take away the pain or satisfy a craving, then we're not really feeding ourselves because we're hungry. And at that point, that's the time to say, am I hungry? And if you're not hungry, there are two different ways to go. One is to redirect your attention, and that's what I do a lot with my clients is coming up with strategies for specific situations in order to not use food anymore, whether it's setting a timer for 10 minutes before you eat the pastry, just set some time in there to say, well, did I really need it or you know, could I do something else? Or you can address your need and say, well, why do I need it? Well, I'm bored and I want to eat it. Well, why am I bored? What should I be doing now? How can I fuel my passion now? What do I really want to be doing? Do I want to finish that book? Do I want to knit? Do I, need, uh, do I feel the need to go exercise at some point today? Well, this would be a good time to do it because instead of doing it, I'm eating. Right. And I think one when you said redirecting your attention, one thing my trainer taught me if I was, um, you know, getting cravings of reaching for the pantry for treats. Um, I'm not saying go overboard, but she would say, you know, 
just walk outside, like go outside and just walk or run, like running off for like two, three minutes and then you won't have that craving and it actually worked. Right. And everybody has, again, that's not a boilerplate um, solution for everybody. Not everybody runs. Not everybody likes to do that. It could be, okay, go knit three rows on your scarf or mm-hmm. go read a book or call a friend and make a, and make a rule for yourself. I don't eat on the phone because it's rude. <laughs> it's <a little laughs> yeah. gross to hear somebody chewing. So go call somebody. And if that, and if you're, and if you're lonely and that's why you're eating, connecting with somebody helps. So call somebody, go make plans to go visit with a friend or take a dog for a walk. There are so many strategies for people to develop their own. And if that one works for you, that's great. But then develop a whole bag of them so the next time you feel that way and say you don't feel like going outside because it's raining, you can come up with something else to do mm-hmm. in that time. Now, are there any other strategies people can implement to achieve their goals? Because like you said, if it's the beginning of the year, if they're starting a new nutrition plan, everybody's, you know, like really gung-ho and motivated for change. And then they resort back to their bad habits within, um, you know, less than a month. Yes. Well, I'm really big on keeping journals, whether it be a food log or an awareness journal, I like to call it. So it's not really about... Um, your your old fashioned food log where you write down I had a quarter of a cup of this and it had so oh many gosh, calories. That was so me. <laughs> right? so I like to have a food awareness log, so I like to have people write down where are you on the hunger satisfaction continuum. It's something I teach people to figure out how hungry they are, and so they put down that number and then set an intention of where you want to be when you're satisfied. Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be full? Do you want to be uncomfortable? And set that. And then what did you eat? Where did you eat it? And why did you eat it? So where could be I ate it at the table without distraction or I ate it in the car? And um, and why did I eat it? Because I was hungry. That's a great answer. Or because I was bored or because it was there. Those kinds of things. So I like to have people keep an awareness journal so that you can look back and say, well, look, these are my habits. And so one by one, I'm going to attempt to change habits. So if you think about it, if you could make one small change a week, so say you, the first week you're keeping a journal, and that's new for you to start to keep a journal. If you make one small change a week, in a year you have 52 changes. There's no way that you can't stick to a plan if every time you have a new week, whether it's a Monday or Sunday, whatever you start your week on, that you say, okay, this week I want to try to accomplish this. And if you don't accomplish it that week, either set that goal again for the next week or put it on the back burner and pick a new goal. But stay the course. If the goal is long-time, long-term quality of health, then you have your whole life to practice because, again, mindful eating, it's, it's not a race. You're not, there is no finish line. It's a practice. Right. So it's right. like a marathon. Continuous. It's a lifetime journey of Trying things, see if this works. Does this make me feel good about myself? Does this meet my goal? Am I energized? All of those things. And then set small goals to reach that bigger goal. And should the bigger goal change because, say, something developed like diabetes, then the goal changes to managing blood sugar plus mm-hmm. living a, because you want to live a long, healthy life. Okay, and let's go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about more about, I just had a couple more questions on a couple of the diets, as well as maybe some advice that you can give us, since you're also a mom and not just a dietary um, nutritionist, but maybe some uh, advice for our kids' health and eating habits, so when we come back, more with Beth. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Has life ever thrown you a curveball called challenges? Or maybe even a boulder called adversity? You are not alone. How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with Grace, Gratitude, Love, and Joy is about finding the gold in life's challenges. April J. Ford shares how tragedies from her past taught her the alchemy of adversity. Who we are inside and the way we handle the challenges we face is how we transition and transform into who we are truly meant to be. Pick up your copy today at www.feeljoyagain.com or by clicking on the link on the You Are Not Alone show page. What makes you the best you can be? Is it money? Is it success? Maybe it's love, a good career, home, and family. Could it be a bit of all of these things? Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola, along with her featured guests, will bring you the tools that could be the answer to the questions you've been asking. You'll get to the root of some of the problems that have been keeping you from being the best you can be and tackle them head on. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April J. Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is apriljford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. Welcome back. We've been speaking with Beth Rosen. She is a registered dietitian. And I wanted to get her opinion about, you know, um, our kids' health and our eating habits. But before we get into that, I just had one last question. Since the previous segment, we were talking about diets and nutrition plans. Beth, I did the math. I, you know, usually do cleanses and um, what was it called? I think it was a master cleanse. Not necessary to lose weight, but to just cleanse my body. Do you think programs like that work short you know, having it as a short-term goal? So my opinion on cleanses, since you asked, (laughs) is a strong one. Um, We don't need cleanses. Our body has a natural detoxifying um, process. We sweat out through our skin um, toxins. Our liver detoxifies. Our lungs detoxify. So we have all these different organs in our bodies that clean out anything that might be toxic to our system. Um, so there's no need to put yourself into a starvation mode on a cleanse or a liquid diet or a juice cleanse um, because actually that may do more harm than good uh, in that you're not supporting your gut flora at that point uh, and your gut flora feeds off fiber. So a high-fiber diet is actually more cleansing than a cleanse, especially a juice oh, okay. cleanse that has no fiber in it. <laughs> so um, I think that if you are eating a diet that supports a long, healthy life, there would be no reason to detoxify anyway. But if you're looking to, quote-unquote, detox, drink a lot of mm-hmm. water, eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and whole grains, and that way you'll have a high-fiber diet and you'll be well hydrated and that will help your body to work better. Okay, great. Okay, now moving on, um, any advice about our kids' health and eating habits? 
Sure. So I know we've talked a lot about mindful eating today. And the other word for mindful eating is intuitive eating. And we're born with that, actually. Uh, if you think about a baby, and I know you've had, so um, think about a baby when they're hungry, they cry. So they're mm-hmm. telling you, I'm hungry. And when they are no longer hungry, they push away or they tongue thrust or they spit food mm-hmm. at you when they're toddlers to yeah. say, stop trying to feed me more. And that's their body's natural way of saying, I'm hungry and I'm satisfied. I'm hungry and I'm satisfied. And what happens along the way uh, are these external cues that say to them, clean your plate off, um, eat all your vegetables or you don't get dessert, or you're fat, don't eat that, or whatever mm-hmm. things come from external sources that we've heard as children or we say to our own children, I hope nobody's telling their children they're fat and don't eat that. But um, that's, that's what changes that intuitive eating into listening to external cues and losing that self-judgment to regulate our bodies to their natural weight. So what I would suggest for parents is sort of give your kids a break. Let them regulate how much they eat, but it's your job as a parent to provide them with healthy options. And by healthy, I mean things that are nutrient-dense that will help them reach the goal of growing into healthy adults. And that means making sure things have vitamins and minerals in them that are high fiber, they drink enough water, they're not getting a lot of added fats or added sugars, refined products. They're eating more closely to a whole food or Mm -hmm. closer to a natural product rather than a lot of packaged goods. And these things that they would eat would help them to grow so they can regulate how much as long as we put in front of them and guide them to choose good foods. They can't do that right. on their own. They're not the ones food shopping and cooking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So, right. Just, like you said, presenting the healthy options for them. Right. So when you're at home, it's easy to do. You go to the supermarket, you buy your fruits and your vegetables and your whole grains and your lean meats and your low-fat dairies, and you serve that at home. But when you go to a restaurant, sometimes it's a little harder, especially if they have a kid's menu. The kid's menus drive me insane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if you look at a kid's menu, it's all fried food. And what are we telling our kids? Chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. (laughs) Right, mac and cheese, chicken fingers, um, french fries with everything. How often do you see a kid's plate that's a piece of cheese? a piece of fish with a side of steamed broccoli and some rice. You don't usually see that, not in many restaurants. What would be the better option when you take a kid to a restaurant is to ask the restaurant if it's okay if they have a half a portion or a smaller portion of one of the meals offered to the adults. And that mm-hmm. way you can help them choose something that you would typically serve them. Now, it's not to say they shouldn't have chicken nuggets ever, but in our society, most kids eat that on more regular basis than not. They're more likely to choose the fried foods over the fruit right, or, right. Right, or healthier options. But if we guide them while they're young, they'll learn to make healthier choices naturally right? because they would okay. have been exposed to these foods at a young age. Okay. And in closing, what I picked up, at least with if people want to implement the four steps that I created, which is recognize, 
respond, reevaluate, and rebalance. Some of your suggestions, you know, to recognize, you know, again, going back to paying attention to when you're hungry, when you're full, kind of like the analogy used when we were babies, we intuitively knew that. And also recognize what you're eating and while you're eating. And we can respond by curating an awareness journal, you know, journaling, um, what you're eating, why you're eating, and where you're eating. And basically, you can reevaluate your nutrition plan based on the journal and the plan that you came up with and rebalance and redirect those plans towards your goals. So in closing, Beth, where can people find more about your work, some of your blogs and your articles and tips, or maybe if they even want to um, have a consultation about their nutrition with you? Well, they can find me uh, at my website, which is www.goodnessgraciousliving.com. I do see clients in Connecticut, um, but I'm happy to consult with people over the phone or via um, video chats. And I also can be found on Facebook if you want to follow along, and that's uh, www.facebook.com backslash goodnessgraciousliving. And if anyone wants to email me, they can email me at beth at goodnessgraciousliving.com. Perfect. Alrighty, everyone. I'm April J. Ford here in Voice America with You Are Not Alone. I share my story and the show so that others can share their stories and have their glory so that others don't have to experience the extremities of what I face but would be able to take the fruit of my adversities and prosper with it. I give my permission to allow people to borrow my belief and faith. I give my love and light so that others can illuminate theirs. I share my joys and blessings so that others can share theirs and let others know you are not alone. Make sure you go to feeljoyagain.com to receive your free weekly words of joy and information on how you can take part on the four steps to create your roadmap to success. There's gold to be discovered in our challenges. Know that you're not alone. Get inspired, uplifted, and empowered every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Pacific here on Voice America. We appreciate your joining us this week for You Are Not Alone. Please tune in for another edition with host April J. Ford next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.